that same Holy Spirit is here today to bless someone like you. I've been speaking on the sermon that I've titled, is now a series, The Uncommon Acts of God. Uh, the Lord opened my eyes in this direction some weeks back when I was approaching the month of November in this year, glorious year of 2020. Hallelujah. And said this month shall be to us here in CCLC House of Mercy UK, the month of uncommon testimonies. And I started looking at the uncommon acts of God that actually bath uncommon testimonies. And um, today I'm going back again, 1 Kings 18, from verse 30 to verse 39. We've not been able to exhaust everything here. God just keeps taking us deeper and deeper. Hallelujah. 1 Kings 18, and I'm going to read from verse 30 to verse 39. I read. 1 Kings 18, 30 to 39. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench above the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seeds. And he trenched and he, he put the wood in order. He put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and laid him on the wood and said, Fill the four barrels with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that elijah the prophet came near and said lord god of abraham isaac and of israel let it be known this day that thou art god in israel and that i am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. That these people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. The Uncommon Act of God, Part 4. Shall we bow our heads in prayers? Lord, we are grateful. It's always um, a time of joy and gladness. When we come into your presence your word says in your presence there is fullness of joy and we are grateful because again because we know that you are here to do that which is good unto us receive our thanks in the name of jesus i ask as we go into your world that you will uh, enable me to speak your word as an oracle of yours don't let me speak from my own idea of flesh but rather let me speak from your spirit let me receive from the holy spirit 
and let my mouth be able to declare and, de and, uh, uh, and preach it in a way that is pleasing to you, O oh God, so that your people can be touched, transformed, changed in the name of Jesus. The entrance of your word always give light. So, Lord, we receive light for everyone listening to this message. There will be light that will enlighten their darkness. And, Lord God, let it be like lamp to their feet where they are so that they will walk in the light of life. We give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Satan, once again, we hold you bound. You have no portion here. In Jesus' mighty name, I have prayed. Amen. And you can say amen where you are home. Hallelujah. Glory. The Uncommon Acts of God, part four. At the beginning of this series, I opened with a statement. I said one of the words that we can use to describe the acts of God in the scriptures is the word uncommon. I told us, I said, God is always walking. In John 9, 4, the Bible says, I must walk the walk of him that sent me. He is always walking. John chapter 5, verse 17 said, My father walketh, he that I walk. So we serve a God that is always at work. He is at work. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 tells us very uh, 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 carefully and very powerfully. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, He who has started a good work in you shall perfect it. He who has started a good work in you. So this is a confidence that I have. He said, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we serve a God that is always at work. He said, I must walk the walk of him, John 9, 4, that sent me. He is a walker. Our God walks. And whenever God walks, if you look at the works that God does, you will realize that one word that we can use to describe them is the word uncommon. That word uncommon means unorthodox. It means not normal. It means not in line with natural occurrence. It means unusual. It also means rare. And I went on to share with us that from our text, we could see an uncommon act taking place. When Elijah prayed, the Bible said the fire fell. And when the fire fell, the fire licked up the water. That is uncommon. It is water that put out fire. But that was reversed because God was at work. I prophesied that whatever the enemy is doing in your life, God will perform an uncommon work. That will reverse them. That will reverse it or them if they are more than one in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever thing that the enemy has put in motion in your life, I release an anointing over your life right now that will cause a reverser to take place in your favor. If you believe it, shout a big amen wherever you are. So God did an uncommon act then, and we spoke about it extensively. But that is not what I'm going into today. And I started speaking to us about how it is, why it is, that God was able to do this uncommon act. I said the reason is very simple. Elijah, according to scripture, rebuilt the broken altar. He built up the altar of God that was broken down. The moment he was able to raise an altar, then the fire of God fell and that, those uncommon acts took place. So I started speaking to us about altars. That there's a need for us as God's children to have altars in our lives. Now, our altar, what it represents, is a place we connect with God. Yes, we need to have altars in our life. Family altars, personal altars, corporate altars. A place where we can connect with the Most High God. And I went on to start sharing with us the various things that an altar stands for. 
Last week, I started by speaking to us about the fact that an altar is a place of great consecration. So I spoke about holiness in our lives. If we are going to have an altar in our lives, we must respect the spirit of holiness. We must embrace consecration. And when you look at the word of God, you will see that the altar is a symbol of holiness. It's a place of holiness. Whenever you, anybody comes before God's altar, you have to be holy. In Psalm 26, verse 6, I said to us last week, Psalm chapter 26, verse 6, He said, I will wash my hands in innocence, so will I compass thy altar, O Lord. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thy altar, O Lord. The altar is a place of holiness. I also said last week, Exodus chapter 40, if you read verse 10, Exodus 40, if you read verse 10, it says, And thou shalt anoint the altar. God was speaking there. He said, Thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all his vessels, and sanctify the altar, and it shall be an altar most holy. So when we are talking about the altar of God, it is a place of great consecration, deep consecration. You cannot have an altar and, fiddle, and, and be fiddling with sin. You cannot have an altar and be partnering with iniquity. You cannot have an altar and be embracing unrighteousness. When it comes to God and his altar, it is a place of consecration. Great consecration. But today I want to go forward because of time. And second thing, or the second thing that the altar represents, it's also not just a place of great consecration. It is a place of worship. The altar is a place of worship. When we are talking about worship, we need to understand what it simply means. It's a place of worship, and I'm going to give you very soon. In Isaiah 36, if you read verse 7, the B part, the, well, Isaiah was speaking about the altar, and he said something about that altar in the B part. He said, ye shall worship before this altar. So the altar is a place of worship. If you are going to have an altar in your life, you have to be a man and a woman or a child that is a deep worshiper, a true worshiper. Anybody who can worship God and become a worshiper, indeed, that person is, can approach the altar. That person can raise an altar. In the book of Exodus, sorry, Revelation, chapter 11, Revelation 11, verse 1, the Bible was speaking there. He said, And there was given me a reed like a rod. And the angel stood, saying, He said, Rise and measure the temple of God, listen to that, and the altar, and them that worship their name. So that is, you see that in the temple of God, there is an altar. In the Old Testament, when the Bible said, when God instructed Moses to build the tabernacle, the outer court of the tabernacle, or the first place, what we call the outer court of the tabernacle, has one ma massive instrument that when you enter into the gate, through the gates, the first instrument you will see in the outer court is the brazen altar. So you see that God can't be approached without an altar. You need an altar to approach the presence of God. Before you make it to the holy place and to the holies of holies, you will encounter an altar. It is what you do in that altar that will determine how far you will go with God. So the altar is a place of worship. It's a place where everyone who comes must be a worshiper. Exodus 34. If you read from verse 12 to 14. Exodus 34. I want to read it so that you can grasp it. From verse 12 to verse 14. He said, Take heed unto thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest. Let it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall, look at that, 
ye shall destroy their altars, look at that, and their grave and their images, and cut down their grooves, look at that, for thou shalt worship no other God. So in other words, when you deal with the altar, the altar is the place where you worship other gods. He said, for thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. In other words, don't give his worship to something else. So if you want to really raise an altar in your life, become a true worshiper. Not just somebody who sings, but a true worshiper. Somebody who is committed to the worship of God. The word of God said in Psalm 132, if you read verse 7, he said, we will go into his tabernacles, we will worship at his footstool. What is his footstool? That is his throne. If you read the New Living Translation of that same Psalm 132 verse 7, he said this way, he said, let us go into the sanctuary of the Lord, let us worship at the footstool of his throne, the place of altar, of his throne. So the posh altar is a place for worship. It's not a place for those who just want to come around and sing. It's a place for true worshippers. People that worship from the heart. Are you with me, somebody here? The word worship. Now, I promise I'm going to give you some few minutes here. So that we understand what it means. When we say, you, you come to worship God. The word worship means to yield oneself, spirit, soul, and body to God's will. So yield. When you say you are worshipping God, people think it's just the time of singing. No. It is to yield oneself. Even in the singing, yield yourself, spirit, soul, and body. That's what it means to worship God. What worship also means to be at His service. To be at His service. I love this one. It means to lift Him, that is God, to lift Him and give Him a place in our lives higher than other things or beings. And I say that again. When you are a worshiper of God, you've placed God in a, in a particular place in your life that is higher than everything and every being. If anyone is higher than God in your life, you are worshiping that thing. You are worshiping that thing. When you worship God, is higher than everything. Psalm 99, if you read verse 5. Psalm 99, verse 5. He said, Exalt ye the Lord. And worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Exalt ye the Lord. When you lift him up, when you exalt him, you are worshiping him. Above every other being, above every other thing, you are worshiping him. Verse 9 of the same Psalm 99, very lovely. He said, exalt the Lord our God, look at that, and worship at his holy hill. So every time we worship, or we are worshiping God, we are exalting him. We are not just worshiping him in mouth. We're, We're worshiping him in spirit. John chapter 4, if you read verse 24, he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The same thing he said in Philippians 3, if you read verse 3, he said, For we are the circumcision that worship, the, that worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. What am I trying to say here? You need to be a worshiper if you truly want to raise an altar. If you truly want to have an altar in your life, you have to be a worshiper indeed. Now let me give you some few things about worshippers. So that you look at yourself and ask yourself, am I a worshiper? Based on these things I want to say right now, I will make some statement of fact here. That over the years, as a worshiper myself, that I have noticed in people's lives who truly are worshippers. I'm going to give you some few facts, make some statement of facts that will help you to identify whether or not you are a worshiper. Number one, 
True worshippers seek him and not things. True worshippers, in their worship, they seek him. They don't seek things. If your reason for being a Christian is to have God give you a car, give you a house, give you a husband, give you a wife, give you a job, if you are just miracle-oriented believer, seeking for things, you are not a true worshipper. A true worshipper seek him. You know why? They know that when they find him, in him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. Anybody who finds God will find things. Are you with me, somebody here? Matthew 6, 33. Let's seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. One man of God put it in the way and I so much love it. He, he said, said when he was seeking the face of God, he got him Matthew 6 and the 3. He said, God said to him, seek me. Seek me, don't seek things. He said, when you find me, then these other things that other people are dying to get, I shall give it to you. You need to understand that it is in him that we have our being. Our being means existence. It's in him that we have material things. It's in him that you can have a husband. It is in him that you can discover your job. It is in him that you can discover your purpose. But if you are looking for things and not for him, you are not yet a worshiper and therefore you don't have an altar. You don't have an altar. An altar is only a place where true worshippers can make it all. They seek the person. They don't seek the possessions. They seek the hand of God. They seek the person of God, rather, not his position, not his possessions. They seek the, uh, the person, who he is. They seek a being and not a thing. In John 12, you will see this here. True worshippers came from Greek. They were Greeks. In John 12, from verse 20, he says, And there were certain Greeks. These were Greeks. These were not Jews. That's why I tell people, look, the word of God will be true. The first shall be last, the last shall be false. Don't say because you are the son of Abraham, or your father is a Christian, or your father is a pastor, or your father is a bishop, or your mother is a deacon in the church, or your, uh, your father is the head of the, of the prayer team. That makes sense that you will make heaven. You better find God yourself. These people came, they were Greeks, they were not Jews. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to do what least to worship. Look at what they came to do. They didn't come. To, people come to churches these days and I'm, I'm amazed. And all they are coming, ah, Father, today you will, you will kill that man for me. God's not killing anybody. He said, give up life. Fall and die. Nobody will fall and die. They have to live enough to receive Jesus in their lives. Are you with me, somebody here? Nobody won't kill anybody for you. Watch me. You need to understand. These were worshippers. They came to worship. If only people will come into the assembly, into the sanctuary, into the tabernacle, just to worship, we will have more power available for everybody to solve their problems. But when we are coming, that's because you want God to undo somebody, or to do evil to somebody. You want God to, to kill somebody. You want God to... Somebody should not wake up. They will wake up. What are you talking about? Why should they wake up? They have children. They have to wake up. But these Greeks, that's why they came to worship. Can I ask you, why do you come into God's presence? Why? Why do you come? Why? Do you come to seek Him? Do you come to seek Him or you come to seek things? And that's why if God has gone to that miracle, we backslide. And I forget the story my father and the Lord have enjoyed the day where he told us many, many years ago. So there was a particular sister who went to meet a man of God and said she wants to backslide. And the man of God said, why do you want to backslide? He said, I want to backslide because God has not given me the person I will marry. He said, really? 
Yes, yes. So the man of God said, okay, no problem. When you finish backsliding, front slide. When you finish front sliding, down slide. When you finish side sliding, round slide. Because all your sliding will not will not in any way manipulate God to do what he won't do at the, uh, that, that you want him to do. No. So you are serving him for your husband? No wonder every time they are worshiping God, your eyes are open. Looking at the brothers. Which one, which one is handsome enough? You are serving him for your brother? No wonder you haven't found him. Serving for who he is. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with everything that is within you. Love him. Love him. Love him alone. Shout amen. Hallelujah. If you will love him and love him alone, things will be following you. Are you hearing me? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. He's not saying that you will be running after goodness and mercy. Christians are running after goodness and mercy now. No. Surely, Psalm 23. If you read verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Not some few days. All the days of my life on the earth. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. You see that? The reason why goodness and mercy are following me is because I'm dwelling in the house of the Lord seeking him. Glory to God. We have too many material seekers, possession seekers who are not seeking God. So the moment God has not given them that job and he gives somebody else, they feel that God is not God again. No, God has something better. Eyes have not seen. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He said, Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Neither has he entered the heart of any man what God will do unto him who love him. But verse 10 says, He has revealed them to us by his spirit. Are you with me here? Shout amen if you believe that. Stop seeking things. Tell him not to say stop seeking things. Seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not seek things. Not seek things. If I don't have a good car, and so what? If I don't have uh, a big house, mansion, and so on, that will not stop me from seeking. I, I, I did not sign up for ministry to drive a good car. I didn't sign up for ministry to live in a good house. I signed up for ministry to pursue divine agenda and to pursue God. Was God and God alone. And I'm on the line. The house came. I'm on, I wasn't looking for a wife when I got one. I wasn't. I wasn't. It came like that. My wife was not looking for a husband when she got me. No, I just walked into her life bundukutrously. Hallelujah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't about, it. she wasn't, she wasn't coming. Don't say she would use her head to carry instruments. She was the head of the choir department in the church. After this, after the, after the answer, everybody will disappear. And leave her alone. She will go and organize a taxi. She will carry the instrument to a place. Beg the taxi to help her carry. She will pay for the taxi. All of that, God was seeing. So when it was time for her to get a husband, God give her the bishop. Seek him, nothing. That seek him, bro. You will find, bro. But the bro we find is not brother. You find a bro, not brother. No brother is the complete one. Bro, you know what bro means? Bro, we deal with you very well. Seek him. So look at this guy. Let's get back to this. Oh my God. Let's get back to the sermon. Let's get. He said, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship. Look at that. They came up to worship. At the feast, it was a feast. Hear me, it was a feast, but they were worshippers. Don't be taken aback by the feast in the tabernacle, 
Focus on the worship of God that you came for. It was a feast. People were eating, rejoicing, dancing, but they were worshippers. So look at them. They were not taken about by the feast. Some people come to church and the socialization, the association, the distribution of pepper. We take over all the after service. Have you bought that chicken? Have you seen where they're selling that new shoes? Have you for goodness sake, is that why you came? Did you say did you hear what the message that the bishop preached? Oh, it touched my heart. I shared deeper revelation. I said, Oh my god, I'm just gonna seek God more and inspire inspire someone. I want to talk about this. Ah, the new shoe. Eh, where they are selling the latest and the cheapest bread. Come on! Life is more than raiment. More than raiment. Man shall not live. Man shall fall for. Look for for. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That only shall man live by. We have become bread lovers. More than God lovers. Bread. What we eat. What we wear. When we seek Him, we will give you what to wear. When you seek him, he will bring that job to your doorstep. When you seek him, he will bring that woman to your doorstep. When you seek him, he will bring peace to your doorstep. When you seek him, he will bring all that you desire that others are dying to get to you freely. Somebody shall freely where you are. He said, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, that we may not just be freely given unto us. Freely. You are paying for what you are supposed to get for free. I met a man of God some years ago. No, months. Almost a year now. Yes, almost a year. Yeah, that was last year, August. Last year, August. And he was speaking. And he said something. He said, God did not ask you to buy anything. He asked you to believe him for everything. I said, wow. He said, the house I'm living in, they beauty for me. The cars I'm driving, he said, I believe. Faith in God. I'm not saying you have to buy something. But I said, major things in your life, God can give it to you freely. Really, without it stressing you, stretching you, breaking you. Some people will buy a house, they won't be able to eat again. Some people will buy a car, they won't be able to sleep again. Some people will buy a company, and then from there they, they lose their, they lose, they have a potential. That's not God. The blessing of the Lord make it rich. Hallelujah. Then it has no sorrow. If God, you say, if you say God gave you a wife, and after since you married her, your life has become sorrowful. That's not from God. That's a sister. Not a sister. Are you with me? You went to seek for her. Look at this guy. He said they came. Let's go on. Let's go on. He said the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida and of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see who? Shout it to your neighbor where you are. We will see who? Shout to them. Jesus. Worshippers seek him. They didn't come to church for the prince. They didn't come to church for the Thanksgiving time. They didn't come to church just because of fellowship with other people alone. They came to for him, for him, for him. Say with me, I will seek him. Come on, go ahead. You seek him. I'm not just here to play the equipment. I'm here to see him. I'm not just here to sing praise and worship. I'm here to seek him. I'm not just here as a pastor to preach. I'm here to seek him. You are not just in your house. Whether to listen to this message, cross your leg, and walk up anytime you want to walk up. No. You, if you are seeking, you will sit down there, you will listen, and you will grasp it. Not walking around. What am I trying to say? Seek him. People who, don't, who are seeking him, don't take their eyes off him. Don't take their eyes off that TV. Seek him. <laughs> he said that we will see Jesus. Philip, Philip coming to tell and tell it 
Andrew, that's what the James wrote, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come. Hey, <laughs> do you like that? Can I break that up for you a little bit? Can you just grab that a little bit? When true worshippers come in and they seek him, the hour will come. Which hour? The hour for your miracle. Hallelujah to Jesus. I declare over you right now that as you make up your mind to seek him, God will cause your hour to come. God will cause your time to come. If you believe it, say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Worshippers, they, they, they are able through their worship and seeking of him, they make the time suitable for their miracle. That the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour for God to glorify, I want to speak to somebody here prophetically. Hear me right now. Listen to this. Sir. The hour for God to glorify himself in your life has come. The only condition you now need is to take your eyes off things and now focus it on him. Seek him in your worship. Seek him in your service. Seek him in your following. And you will see God glorify Jesus in your situation. If you believe it, say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Say it louder. That's right. Worshippers make the hour to come. Worshippers cause God to glorify himself. They did not put a plateau or lead on their worship. No, they sought after him. They did not stop at the service. They went after him. They were not taken aback by the feast and the eating and the chicken people were eating and the sharing of the Lord's rice after service. That's not their concern. They were seeking him. And, and the hour came. came. Your, Your hour, hour has come. come. Hallelujah. First Chronicles 16 verse 11. He says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. First Chronicles 16 11. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says it this way. He says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. I like that. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And, uh, uh, and call ye upon him while he is near. Only those who seek should be able to call. Most of the time we are calling when we are not seeking. When I have people calling and calling on God and nothing is happening, I ask them, are you God seekers or God callers? Where do you belong? Are you a God seeker or you are a God caller? And the Bible says, and they that call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. But hear this, seek ye first, Isaiah 55 and 6, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Then when you find it, call ye upon him. While he's near. Because, because when, when you, you seek him and you find him, you become near. Now, call him while he's near. Many people are calling the God that is far from them. No wonder nothing's happening. You call, you pray, you fast, you hit your head. Like Elijah said, call him. Maybe he has gone on an errand. Call him. Maybe his guest came to visit him and he shut them off. Call him. Oh, maybe he's asleep. Our God does not sleep nor slumber. But, but only seekers can call because seekers draw near. And when they are near, that's when they call. And when they call, he will answer. Hallelujah. Amos chapter 5 verse 6. Amos chapter 5 verse 6. He said, Seek ye the Lord and ye shall live. See that? Seek ye the Lord and ye shall live. Let it break out like fire in the house of Joseph. And devour it, not to quench it in Bethel. Bethel is the house of the Lord. That's, That's what Bethel means. God said, I will break out with fire in the house. In my house. If you don't seek me. 
Shoot me and leave. If you don't shoot me, the opposite that you die. Hosea 10 verse 12. He says, so unto yourself. He says, so to yourself in righteousness. Live in mercy. He said, break up your fallow ground. I like that. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So the first thing about worshippers is this. They are God seekers. They are God seekers. They seek him and not things. So are you a worshipper now? Think about it. Are you one? Are you seeking jobs? Are you seeking money? Is that why you are doing all the things you are doing? Just for money? What if the money does not come? What's going to happen? Then you know whether you are a true worshipper who is seeking him or you are just a worshipper who is seeking him for things. Number two, quickly. My time, I don't know. We we'll probably have to do part five next week because my time. <laughs> There's just so much to say. I've not even got to the real other message. But let's go on. Let's go on. We're seeking him. We're looking at the identity of the true worshiper. I'm not seeking him. I was in the church where I was first posted to, and I sat down in that church for almost a year. The only thing I do there is welcome the first timers, and I never got angry over it. I never said, oh, they didn't allow me to preach. Oh, they didn't give me my microphone. I didn't sign up for ministry just to come and appear before people and preach. No. You may not believe, some people may not believe that, but I'm telling you, I always believe if you read my book, Leadership in Crisis, you will see my story. I ran away from, from frontline ministry. I don't like it. I like to be behind and help the man in front be the best that God wants him to be. Until the man of God told me that's a mistake you have made. Those who want to be in front, God put them behind. Those who want to be behind, God put them in front. I said, really? He said, so you played into the hand of God. Ah, I didn't know. I didn't know. When I was there, and I was so content with just welcoming the people. Welcoming the people. Every Sunday, I, I made it into something extraordinary. You will see, if I some people tell me one of the things that, that I mean, we come to see God, but one of the things we look forward to seeing is the enemy is welcoming us. Just welcoming the people. I didn't bother about where. So the day they asked me to go and pastor in church, I cried. Ah, why? Are you sending me away? Because all I wanted was just to seek Him. It was Him. Him alone. Number two, quickly. Another identity of a true worshiper. Listen to this. They seek tangible impartation. And, and not, not physical, physical sensation. sensation. Worshippers seek tangible impartation. They do not seek bodily or physical sensation. You know when people say, I don't feel it. During that worship, I didn't feel it. What didn't you feel? There was no goosebumps. So you are actually trying to connect with God and the worship with your feeling? I said you will never connect with God with that. You can't. Our, our flesh can never connect with him. We, we connect. connect. That's, that's why John 4, 24 says, those that worship him must worship him in spirit. Philippians 3, 3, we are the circumcision that worship him in spirit. In spirit. Spirit. That's what we connect with God with, not with the music, the sound. Those are just compliments on the side. But first of all, you log on with God. When you log on with God, not only will you hear the sound that is played by the keyboardist, the drummer, the bassist, in heaven, joining you to call us unto God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
you'll be hearing the sound of the spirit in your spirit trying to connect through worship and seek for impartation they don't need sensation that's why i tell people some people can't worship if there's no keyboard they can't they will tell you i'm a i'm a new generational worshiper i need synthesizer you need synthesizer then you don't understand what it means to worship god you don't understand what it means to worship god the early church has no synthesizer but when they lift up their voice heaven open the heart shakes under them he shakes he vibrates why because they were connecting with god with their spirit they were looking for impartation and not sensation impartation we have no confidence in the flesh Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh, the Bible says, they cannot please God. No confidence in the flesh. We are not true worshippers and for impartation. They want to feel it in their spirit, not in their body, not in their flesh. So I don't like the beat that brother is playing. It's not flowing with the song they are singing. So that's where you are. You are the level of beat and song. We've left that level. We are on the, we're on the level of God. Are you with me? We are all things work together for good. Christians, we need to get our bearing right. Our spiritual bearing have been lost because we've lost our spiritual compass. We've lost what it takes, what it means. We have not been taught how to connect with God. We've been taught how to connect with physical things, but we have not been taught how to connect with God. All of this music, everything is good. We need it, it's fantastic. But I'm telling you this, what will happen if you are in the jail? Like Paul and Silas, and there's no synthesizer. There's no bassist. There's no keyboardist. And you're waiting. Give me that string. Give me that string. Like you'll feel it. Who will give you string? The keeper of the jail will slap you. That's your strings. When they slap you, guys. Oh, Lord, my God. When they give you a smack, when I'm in her song, strings will be playing for you. Shout hallelujah! It just makes me laugh. When believers, that's why some believers, when they are out of church, they can't worship again. They need something to stimulate them. My stimulant is from above. My stimulant is from within. My stimulant. All the outside ones are just complimenting what God has done in my spirit already. Ask the ask worshippers that you have heard of. They will tell you we received our songs where there were no keyboards. That's where God gave us the songs. In the, in the cool, cool of the night, night when we were alone, when we were crying because, because of the pain that we were going through, through. when we know that we are at the brink of giving up, then the song came. Oh, oh, Nisha, that's how we came. You are the God of awesome wonder. I tasted of your power. Oh, that's where he came. You have shown me so much mercy, mercy. Much, much more than I deserve. Then with tears coming down their eyes, my eyes are seen. No drugs, no nothing. My ears are the wall. Your grace. You need to understand how it came. No sensation in the body, just from the spirit. Worshippers do not seek or settle for sensation of the flesh, but rather for the impartation of the spirit. Worshippers are for depth, not for felt. Worshippers are for depth, they are not for felt. 
F-E-L-T. Worshippers are for D-E-P-T-H. Debt. They are not for F-E-L-T. Felt. Worshippers are for debt. They are not for felt. To the last of feel it for them to do it. They don't wait for feelings to believe. They believe until they feel. They believe and then they feel it. Quickly. I'm going to give you just one more quickly because of my time. Worshippers lay it all bare at the altar. True worshippers. They lay it all bare. When you meet a true worshipper, they don't carry some of the burdens home. No. When they come to the altar, where they worship, they lay it all bare. They uncover everything. You see the tears flowing at times. You see them on the floor at times. They are not holding anything back. Worshippers lay it all bare. They uncover. They are naked before God. I've never seen anybody as naked as worshippers. Naked before God. Look at David. Naked before God. In worship. Lay it all bare before him. Held nothing back. Nothing hidden at the altar of a worshipper. Nothing closed or covered at the altar of a worshipper. For they know that he that covereth his sins shall never prosper. They don't cover. They open it all up. They are unashamed set of people in God's presence. Unashamed. If you are still conscious of your presence, of your standing in the church or in place of worship where others are, you are not a worshiper. When you meet a true worshiper, as far as they are concerned, there could be 1,000 people in that room, but they, are, they can only see themselves and God. That's a worshiper. A worshiper does not see the person by his side. What concerns him? Without person by his side, go home with him. Worshipper, there could be 2,000 people in the room. When they start to worship, it's only them and God that they see. So there's a connection with them and God. Do you see others when you worship? You're not a true worshipper. Do you consider that sister looking at you? Ah, I better be careful. Let me gather myself. The cook come and collect it. In the presence of the most I will present you naked. Or have you had a naked you came into this world? Hallelujah. Worshippers lay it bare. And finally, that will not permit me to say this. But worshippers are beyond the veil people. They are beyond the veil people. That's what they have. Beyond the veil. Now, I've got to close. Because I can't go to the next one because of time. But I want to leave you with these words. If you are a true worshipper indeed, with some of these facts that I've laid before you, can you ask yourself that question? If you claim that you are a true worshipper, with all of these facts I've laid before you, ask yourself, am I truly a worshipper? Am I truly a worshipper? Final thing about a worshipper quickly because of my time is that worshippers don't hold anything back from God. They don't hold back. They don't hold back from the fight. They don't hold back. To them, what they hold, God holds it. To them, the possessor of their soul is the possessor of their possessions. To them, when it's time to give, not only will they give their, themselves and soul, spirit, spirit, soul, and body, but they can give on their things. When you see people who can give an offering, when it's time for offering, you, you go to church, you can go to McDonald's and spend 30 
pound on your children and your friends' children. But when it's your church, you pick out one pound, five pounds, and you give it. You are not a worshiper. That's not who you are. I don't care what they've done to you that you came have done to you in the church, but that is not a worshiper. When you see a true worshiper, that will not permit me. In Genesis, when Abraham went to worship, no one told the disciples, I saw his servants, when he was climbing that mountain, he said, you, the rest of you stay here. That will not permit me to go there. The rest of you stay here. He said, myself and the child, we go yonder to worship. That's what he said. We go to worship. Abraham was a worshiper. And when he got there, God said, I need your son. He picked the boy and put him there. That is a worshiper. Don't claim you are one when your money still means more to you than God's needs. Than what God wants to do with it, rather. Don't claim that you are a worshiper when you can still hold back your tithe from God. You are not a worshiper. You are not a true worshiper. Otherwise, people don't give tithe. They think it's too much. That what they are giving is too much. How can I give? I earn ten thousand a month. How can I give one thousand as tithe? I might want to kill Jesus, and you see, is that a worshiper? When you, when you get, get to heaven, heaven you will meet Abraham, Abraham who gave his son. Is your 1,000, can you buy Isaac? Can your 1,000 pound tithe? Can you buy? There are people who you'll be surprised you will get to heaven. People give a million every month as tithe. You are hiding 1,000 from God. Say you're a worshiper. You're deceiving yourself. That's not a worshiper. A worshiper does not hold anything back. And it's time for offering a worshiper who says, Lord, take it. Take it. I don't, I don't know a worshiper by the person who, who sings the loudest in the church. I know it by how I, when I sit down like Jesus sat and I look at your offering. That's when I know who a worshiper is. I told somebody some time ago, I said it's been almost four Sundays, you have not given one offering. I forgot. I said, see worshiper, see worshiper, I forgot. A worshiper who forgot to give God what one of the things that are most important to God. I have never attended the service. I say it to the glory of God. And it's time to give. I don't joke with it. I don't joke with it. In our church, I'm so grateful. Even the children's church. Children give they give offering, they give tight. Thank God for the parents that God gave those kind of children. When I when I sit there, when when they bring me the report and I look at it and I saw children giving tight. I look at adults and say, Wow, their action have condemned you before God. Let's change. Want to, Want to give an offering? You're looking for the worst of all the worst. Say, I just give God twenty pounds because it meant that twenty pounds meant nothing to you. Something can just give it. That's not a worshiper. A worshiper. Abraham said, "We go on yonder to worship." And when he got there, he didn't give God any other thing. Said, "My son, he tied his hand." When God saw it, God said to Abraham. Bible, Bible says, in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply. He said, whosoever curse you, I will curse them. Even if you are not thinking of cursing them, I will curse them on your behalf. Why? Because the man did not hold back. Are you holding back? And you claim to be a worshiper. You cannot have an altar. When you come to the altar and you hold back. Look at that spirit of people who hold back. Ananias and Sapphira. They felt that what they were giving about to, what they sold their land for was too much to give to the church. You are not giving to the church, you are giving it to God. So is that too much for God? Can I ask you a question? Is that too much for God? Only the Lord told me, I, I had a thousand five hundred pounds. He said, I want you to give me everything. And you know what? It wasn't even the church that was pastoring I gave it to. I wanted to show it to another ministry that is higher than yours right now. 
I took the entire money. When I showed it, I fell down. I began to cry. And that scripture came. They have shown tears. Today, people have given me more than 1,500. They bless me, bless me, bless me. Bless me, Yafun Yafun. When I get my mother, it was everything I had. My mother said, What are we going to eat? I said, I don't know. But I've obeyed God. And you are earning 10,000, you can't give a tithe of 1,000. You are earning 4,000, you can't give a tithe of 400. You'll be shocked that when you get to heaven, that people that give tithe of 10,000 every month, you'll be shocked. And you'll be on the same line with them. By the time you know that, they'll just say you separate yourself. You know that, you know, you know, you know where you belong. God said, Don't lay your treasure where moth are lost. Some people, the money they ought to give to God, they put it to a business. 10,000, 10,000, they lost everything. Lost everything. If you have given that to God, do you think you'll be at the level you are right now? Somebody say you have the, you took all the money you ought to give something that you're to bless God with, to be joyful about. You put into a business of a man. And right now, where's the money? No money, no profit. Haven't you learned? I hope you don't make that mistake the second time. I'm not saying don't sow into a business, but I'm saying don't rob God. Of what God is duly desired. How can you give God 20 pounds? I then give one, 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 one person that says he has business idea. 30 pounds, 30,000 pounds. How can you? Let the Holy Spirit lead you. I'm saying this prophetically to some people here. Hear me. Let the Holy Ghost begin to lead you. Stop being led by money. Seek Him and money will follow you. I'm telling you. All the, All the days, days of your life. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Make his face shine upon you. And the Lord cause his mercy to be showered on you. As you make up your mind today to begin to obey God. And seek him and not things. For worshippers, they seek him. They don't seek things. Stand on your feet and give God praise. Hallelujah. We'll continue next week. I can't get to the other part, but we'll continue next week. Just give God praise and ask Him, Am I a worshiper? Say, Father, thank you for what I've had for us. That's the first thing. Say, Lord, thank you for speaking to me. Thank you, O God, for speaking to me. Thank you, O God, for speaking to me. Thank you, O God, for reaching out to me. Thank you, O God, for speaking to me today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to 